My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Do you keep gifts from exes? Is there a problem with doing so if you do? What if you found out your partner was saving little keepsakes from a past relationship? How would you feel? Well, I don't think there are universal right or wrong answers to these questions. I find the topic so fascinating. Objects tell stories, and we're all so unique as individuals. Later on in the show today, I'm going to share some personal thoughts on keeping objects of past affection, along with views of a few friends who joined me at the Museum of Broken Relationships. How cool is that name alone here in Los Angeles? You'll also hear from the museum's amazing director, Alexis Hyde, and our very own Dr. Megan and I are going to share some thoughts for a listener who wishes she could do away with emotional pain left over from an abusive such important stuff. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm so stoked to be here exploring these topics. For more on the subject, as well as photos from the museum, links to some of the stuff we're talking about today, be sure to visit augustmclaughlin.com, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, augustmclaughlin.com, where you can sign up for email updates. I send those about once a month. And if you'd like to support Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave a simple review while you're there. So I first heard of the Museum of Broken Relationships when Dr. Nikki Goldstein, who I interviewed about single and dating last month, invited me to her panel event hosted at the museum. And not only was the panel awesome, but the museum is brilliant, especially if you're fascinated by relationships or psychology, true stories, love, art, mysteries. Seriously, this place has it all. I'm so grateful to Alexis Hyde, the director, for welcoming me to the museum to have an on-site interview and to do a little tour with some friends. The museum sits right in the middle of a very bustling area of Hollywood Boulevard you've probably seen, either on TV, in movies, or in person if you've ever visited L.A. or live around here. It's right by the Hollywood Walk of Fame where there's the Star Walk where celebrities have their names and people are dressed up as superheroes and doing crazy stunts and locals are mixing around. It's where they have the Oscars. And you step into this museum and it's like going from L.A and Hollywood into a New York art gallery, only more approachable for the art novice like me. It's super bright and sunny and welcoming, and it's also filled with these deep, beautiful, and sometimes dark emotions. The concept was started by, get this, an ex-couple who wondered, like, during their breakup, they were like, hey, what do people do with these objects that are meaningful from a relationship? And they ended up basically starting a touring show and then opened a permanent museum in Croatia in 2010. And six years later, John B. Quinn, who's a lawyer, visited this museum and was like, this is amazing, you know, sent a few emails and ended up starting one here in Los Angeles. So before taking you all on an audio tour of select items that really struck my friends Karina, Rain, and Aaron, and myself, I'm sure you may be eager to learn more juicy details about the museum itself and what it's like to have that as your workspace. Can you imagine? Or what would it be like working there, you know, and going on dates yourself, like saying, oh, I work for the Museum of Broken Relationships. It's kind of a heavy topic to bring up on a first date, I would imagine. I loved sitting down to chat with Alexis Hyde. Uh, I'm the director and the head curator here at the Museum of Broken Relationships, which means I'm in charge of all of the exhibitions and the programming and my staff and just everything, uh, events and things. I handle all of that in the gift shop. Um, I got involved I've been a long time employee administrator in the arts world here in Los Angeles and the democratization of contemporary art has always been something that's really important to me because I feel like 
everyone should have access to the arts, and I feel like sometimes it can feel very prohibitive, especially, you know, going into a museum with a really fancy show, and they're using all of these words, and it's like, I don't have a master's, how am I supposed to engage with this work? Uh, am I supposed to be doing it on, like, a more intellectual level than I am? And it can, it can feel really daunting. And so when I heard about the Museum of Broken Relationships quite a few years ago from Zagreb, uh, where it originated, um, I felt like this was such an open concept that even though it's a very sophisticated piece of conceptual art, we all have the language to talk about broken relationships. This is something we all go through, we all engage in, we talk about with our friends over drinks, or we cry to our family, or you know, read books and movies and songs about it. And so I thought that this was so wonderfully open and that was something that was really, really interested to me. So when I heard they were coming to LA, I threw my hat in the ring right away. LA seems like the perfect place for it because it seems, at least to me and to people who've lived here and other places that the brokenness of relationships might be a little more prevalent. Do you find that to be the case? I think so. I think that not only, I think that Los Angeles in general is a very open town. We kind of always have that, that residue of the Wild West mentality of anything's possible here. And we kind of live a little bit bigger. You know, our highs are higher and our lows are a little bit lower. And we kind of also have that Southern California energy work and yoga and hippie mentality so things like emotions and storytelling and connections also really important to us so I think even if it's maybe broken relationships aren't more prevalent we're very open about it because we understand that this is part of the human experience and that we are looking for this connection and we like to tell stories and we come here to tell stories about our like lives and other people's lives and it does have a very natural place here, especially, you know, when you hear about things about LA, like the Boulevard of Broken Dreams, everyone comes out here for these giant dreams and goals, and along with that comes crushing defeat. And it's not something to be hidden. It's something we all understand is a natural part of life, and we embrace it when we come here. And because of that, I think we are more open about those journeys that we go on. Yeah, there's a sense of solidarity. At least I felt walking around, you're kind of validated in a way, mm -hmm. because we've gone through these incredible highs, too. Yeah. And there's a lot of beautiful passion in the pieces, and some are really moving. And I've long felt that, you know, a, a relationship that ends isn't necessarily a failure, right? right? But a broken relationship just has this visceral, I think the word that you used, mm -hmm. feel to it. Do you find that a lot of the contributions are from that place of, of not just moving on and I learned a lesson, but there's that kind of visceral heartache? Definitely. I get it's, we get the whole gamut, you know, it's the entire rainbow of emotions where I do have people looking back and this is what I learned, even if it was a really hard lesson or I, not every broken relationship's a bad thing. You know, we are, aren't supposed to be with every single person we're with, even friends or places or other, you know, kinds of relationships that aren't romantic. And so I do get that of looking back and being like, this was just part of my journey, but I do get a lot of people with a lot of anger and a lot of rage and a lot of bitterness and that's good too because that's how we process things and you get through things when you are working out those emotions and you are being honest and then I have a lot of stories because the way the exhibits are uh, shown is all anonymous there's no names there's no pictures people are really honest about what they did wrong maybe in a way that they wouldn't feel comfortable telling their friends or their family or their loved ones of I cheated I'm the one who messed up. I'm the one who acted like a jerk. I'm the one who didn't call back. And I think that's really important too because you can't move on and learn unless you really do acknowledge what you've done. And it's nice for other people when they come through to see that this isn't all the spurned people. Some of this is the, are the perpetrators. And you may be the perpetrator. We're not all perfect. No one's perfect. We've all done things that we regret. And it's nice to see that other people are admitting those wrongs but they're coming from a place of, you know, trying to move on. Do people have really visceral reactions as well? Could you share a few examples? Because I know, like I said, I felt moved and sometimes you laugh and sometimes something just really strikes you in like a personal oh, yeah. way. I have, you know, the most, the strongest visceral reaction I think I have here is that's the consistent across the board is the immediate 
craving to tell your own story. So going to the confessional or our wall or you know your social media or just donating an object. People want to once they read other people's stories, they want to tell their story, and I think that's really amazing because it's really working on those you know empathy muscles, and I think that's amazing. I have a lot of tears. Um, and other tissues like uh, I have hidden all around. Shop. Yeah, then and then but I also get a lot of PDA like major making out happening. I think people come here on dates and they, you know, one person obviously usually wants to come in more than the other. Kind of like dragging. <laughs> Is there some reason in. we're here? Exactly, like why are you bringing me here? And then it's a, like a quarter of the way through, they're holding hands and then about a little bit further, it's arm linked and then it's like pretzels and then it's just full on making out and it's, I think it's because you start to really appreciate what you have and like, yes, relationships are work and I appreciate the work you're putting in and I'm going to put in the good work and I you know, love you and I appreciate you and I think it's just, it is again visceral, like you have these things and it also becomes a really safe place to talk about your own broken relationships in a way of like, I, and that's not, oh my god, I don't want to hear about your ex again, it's like, no, like this is something very similar that I went through. And that can help you become closer as well. And then that exhibits itself physically. <laughs> that is fascinating. I always feel like there should be a documentary about visiting. I know. It's like having some like, cameras in the corner and yeah, see how people yeah. are. Like they're candid. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Could you tell us a little bit about the submission process and how often you're receiving them and from everywhere? Everywhere. Uh, I get things in from all over the world. I got something in from Japan this week. I also get a lot of things from Southern California and the United States, but Portugal and Finland and Russia. It's incredible. There's something very, um, even though the museum was founded in 2006 and kind of before social media as we know it erupted, uh, there's something very social media friendly about this idea of you know, sharing with your friends and sending them the link. So when you, you head to our website, which is brokenships.la, and you click the donate button and you fill out a form, and it's basically what the object is, where the relationship took place, when, and your story. And it's up to you to tell the story. Is it a story about this object? Is it a story about when things were good, when things were bad, the aftermath? It's up to you. And then I send you instructions on how to mail it or bring it in, and then it becomes part of our permanent collection, and we get quite a few, I mean every day I get something in the mail, it's always pretty fun. And we've got about 500 things in our permanent collection, about 2,500 I believe with the Croatian permanent collection, and at any given time there's about 250 things on exhibit. So we're rotating and new things go on social media, publications, and things are pulled for different exhibitions when it's traveling. Amazing. Yeah. Has your experience here shifted your view of love or relationships in any way? It has, it's, you know, if I'm really going to be honest with it, when I'm here and I'm talking bold and I'm, I'm reading these stories and I'm really, you know, engaged in the process, I feel very emboldened and confident to go out and make mistakes and be vulnerable and because what's the worst that could happen? It Someone says no. You end up on a wall. I end up on a wall here. I mean, that's 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 the worst kind of cool, right? actually. But when if I'm gonna be a super candid about the last couple of pursuits I've done, I've been myself and I've played it close to the chest and I haven't been open really about how I felt or what I wanted and. So it's, it's one thing to talk the talk. I'm still trying to learn to walk the walk. <laughs> <laughs> and when you meet people, mm -hmm. say a potential date, how do they respond to your work? It, well, it's better now that the museum's a real thing because for the six months up to it, people would be like, no, I get it. I'm bad at Tinder too, but like, what do you do for your job? And I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 this is my, I, it pays my bill. Okay. Uh, but everyone wants to tell me their broken relationship stories and it is hard because then I just end up talking about your ex for a long time and I can't tell if 
is this just someone who's not over their acts or is this someone who's trying to relate to like what I do and be like engaging in me and it's a very fine line and I have not learned it yet. <laughs> I just did an episode on when you have a career that is kind of could be a problem for someone to find out about it first, just mm-hmm. for all different kinds of reasons, like being a sexologist or being a porn star or a previous porn star, whatever. Right. And uh, we were talking about at what point do you become more honest and is it authentic to kind of fudge it a little bit and to say, you know, like the sexologist I interviewed said, she'll say, I'm a therapist or, you know, she kind of avoids or she'll say, I'm an artist, which I love. And she believes that about what she's doing. So it's authentic. But someone had written into the show and said they could not get a date because they lived in a small town and everyone knew that she had been an erotic dancer and the only dates she could get were people who were expecting her to like come out and you know, like do yeah. this crazy stuff. So do you find yourself being honest and straightforward? Like before the date even happens, this is what I do or? It's, uh, how do I do it? I, it, it usually comes up because if I say I work in a museum or like I'm an arts professional, someone's like, oh, which artist? And like, I'll say, I don't work for an artist. <laughs> and if they're like, oh, which museum? LACMA, Getty? Uh, no, the Museum of Broken Relationships. Oh, wait, what? No, and then, <laughs> then they want to know about that, so yeah. it becomes kind of hard. I did match with someone on an online platform uh, who had donated, and he was like, oh my gosh, I donated this thing. And I was like, oh my god, I remember that thing. Was it, it a was, thing that was like creepy was, or fun or it was, sweet? It was normal, uh, but it was really poorly written, and so I just kind of hold myself out of that situation so I was just like you know what like if you can't even write like a paragraph uh I'm not gonna engage in this for a long time that is hilarious and what do you most hope people get from their experience I'm sure it varies but in a general sense I hope I mean the first time I went through the exhibition in Zagreb I had I was so profoundly moved in such like a just amazingly human way of just walking around the streets and looking at people and just thinking like this stranger is going through something this stranger is going through something I just I've never felt so connected to other human beings in my life and I hope if I've done my job even remotely close to that that I hope that you feel that way too just even if it lasts 15 minutes like the person who cuts you off in traffic like maybe they just got dumped, you know? Like, you don't know what they're going through, and I think, like, working those empathy muscles is so important now, and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, and hopefully also gives you a little bit of courage, like, bolsters your soul a little bit, that, like, every single piece here is a object of, and somebody who got over something hard, and you can too, and it's not, you know, time does heal, and you can move on, and you can exercise those demons, and those emotions, and hopefully go out and be better. (laughs) Beautiful, can we take a look at a few pieces? Absolutely. We're looking at silicone breast implants, like the actual implants here in a in a box. Tell us a little bit about this. Were you the one who received this? I was. I, I get a lot of submissions about things that are kind of ethereal or metaphorical, like my broken heart or my room in 1992. So when I got the submission for the sil- silicone breast implants, I kind of thought that she was talking about, you know, something that was but didn't actually physically exist anymore and one day I open a bat like not even like a proper box just like a padded envelope with a and I pull out a biohazard bag and I was like what and then it was the breast implants she had actually saved them and she dated this man for quite a few years and he convinced her uh, to get breast implants and she because he was such a boob guy she got them and her body immediately started rejecting them and so she had to have quite a few reconstructive surgeries with these in and then after they broke up she had them removed and had to have a major reconstructive surgery oh uh, because her body was so it just damaged from the implants and basically she 
save them. And the doctor was like, are you sure? And she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to have something to do with this. So when she heard about the museum, she was like, finally, I knew that there was a place for these. And she's super happy now and she's doing well. And she just, you know, is living her, you know, wonderful life. And she really learned that, you know, you have to do these things for yourself and you have to love yourself before you can, you know, really love anybody else and don't change yourself for anyone. And she, you know, she really, she learned that the hard way, but she really did come through to the other side. I love how she ended it. What a beautiful send-off for these two lumps of silicone that caused me so much pain. It's almost like her body reacted to a toxic relationship exactly. on those. I mean, ooh, wow. It's so fascinating that she saved them not knowing what she was even going to do with them. Right. No, she had no idea. And it's so it's so interesting to me because it's not that this relationship took place in Los Angeles and New York you're not at a loss for women who a would want them in the first place which is fine and wonderful and two people who already have them or if you're such a boob guy you can find women with larger breasts they, they're not not around it almost makes you wonder if it was just a control thing, exactly you know? it's obviously a power control thing that he you know had to try uh. to impart himself onto her and it's just really wonderful that she really got through to the other side she's thriving now and happy and it was a rough road but she's great now Okay, so when I saw this sign that says handful of pubic hair, I was like, oh, it's, it's maybe okay that I don't see it. But there it is. There it's it in is. a little glass bottle. Mm-hmm. And it has a poem about it. It does. And it took place in Oceanside, California. And the poem basically says that he or she found, you know, an, a stray hair. And in a panic of, you know, fear and jealousy ripped out some of their own to try to compare it to see if it was theirs. Oh, that is heartbreaking. And it was. It was a matching. So things weren't... It wasn't a cheating situation, I guess, but at the same time, if you're having those feelings, you you know that something's wrong if you're ripping out your... Oh, completely. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Peter Pan plush toy, I actually really love this story because this is one of the first donations I received when we did our call for objects before the museum was physically open. And he, the story takes place, or the relationship takes place from 1991 till present. And he says that he purchased this on his 25th birthday, this Peter Pan stuffed animal, to remind him to keep the little boy inside him alive and awake. Um, and now he grew up and that little boy is gone and his dreams have rotted away and imagination lies in a dusty corner of an abandoned house down the street and inspiration carried off by the autumn winds and so he really he's grown up so the broken relationship is actually between himself So Karina, this particular exhibit really spoke to you. Tell us what it is and and what struck you. Um, It's a font, uh, which is quite an unusual museum exhibit, the Davida font. And it's a couple who met in a graphics class and um, the font became a joke between them and they collected examples of when it showed up on book covers, on packaging, on jar labels. And um, once it's one of those things that once you know to look for it, you see it absolutely everywhere. Mm. And um, it's, one, it's also one of those things, I think it speaks very much to the, the, the joy within the relationship. And then it's a permanent reminder once the relationship's over, this font is not going to go away. You are still going to see it. You're still going to be attuned to noticing that font. It's going to pop up off the page at you. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful little archive of um, how two people came together, had a, had a wonderful in-joke that it's the kind of thing that you, you have in an intimate relationship that it's really difficult to quantify. And, and here it is now for everyone else to go, 
that. That's that, and, it, and it resonates. It's a it's a um, you know not, not everybody has a shared font, but I think in in an intimate relationship, everybody has a kind of like shared a shared point of reference that nobody else will ever really understand. So this contribution is from Oslo, Norway, dreadlocks, 1998 to 2004, 10 years old. My goodness. Is this one that strikes people? It really does because this is one of the ones where you really see the time investment of a relationship because you just, even if you don't have dreadlocks, you know how long it takes to grow hair out and you can see how the ends are braided and like the care that went into that kind of relationships. So some of these stories that are, even though this is very hyper-specific to these two people, I think it really speaks to the universality of a 10-year relationship or a 6-year relationship where, you know, you build something for this long and then it's over and it's cut off. Uh, it's a very physical representation, even though that, yeah, like I said, it's very specific to this one relationship, but I think that the universality of that kind of theme of cutting off something that's an eight-year situation is very relatable. Totally. And I, I read that people tend to chop off their hair mm-hmm. pretty frequently after breakups and also after trauma, after the election. Yes. So I think people relate. And then also I saw she helped sew them. Mm-hmm. So there's the nurturing and the exactly. co-creation. Yeah, you're building that thing together and you can see like where the threads are and the braids are and you know that this was a, a two-person job and that second person is gone and there is something about starting new and chopping your hair off or doing something that's a physical transformation to try to reflect what's happening on the inside that I think people also really relate. So this one is about a relationship that took place between 2008 and 2011, and she doesn't actually reference the dress per se in this story, which is very interesting. Like, why was she wearing this dress when the picture t- or when the story took place, or is this something he gave her? But she's talking about, last night I sat under your window listening for your breath and hers. I can still feel the shape of your penis inside me, three years deep, just as she can, recent and light in her sleep. I lean against the outside of the wall. Inside she is surrounded by all 12 square feet of you, your crinkly chest hair and your sweet beady blue eyes, your balding head, your belly, your tiny feet, your thickness and your warmth. That smell like a homing beacon. As she goes on about what they're doing inside and how she's watching them and they're cooking and they're laughing and they're doing these things together and they're dancing and she's just watching them. I don't mean to interrupt your confession. What are you doing I, I, here? I'm just reading because this is because this is all new, obviously, since um, I was here. I was here in March, I think. And what so, is this you're looking at? So this is just the confessional. This is a book where people write. Um, whatever they feel impelled to write and some of it is is very angry some of it is very sweet it's like i hope i never fall out of love with the the person that i'm here with i hope that um my relationship never ends upon this wall some of it is kind of advice there's there's a bit back here about like don't let him come on your face which is kind of funny oh my god um and then people just, I mean, I'm obviously um, weaving my own stories kind of like into into what people have written, but I think some some of it seems to be what people have carried around with them for quite a long time, and this is a rare opportunity to unburden Mm. um, in a very anonymous way, but in a way that other people will read. Um, It's not like writing on your Facebook wall or whatever, or, or tweeting because people don't know that it's you, but I think it's the same impulse to kind of like spew to strangers. Almost cathartic or I could see it helping with forgiveness for example. Yeah, I mean there seem to be like quite a lot of kind of like fuck fuck you Ben, fuck your jazz too. Yeah, fuck you name of guy. Um, You were my only family but you didn't want a family. I know. And you know, and and some of it is quite sort of logical. Um, Some of it is very um, sort of you know, even sort of philosophical in that they, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff about you broke me, but I'm a better person for it. Um, I've moved on. Um, I realised, there was one back here about um, how 
it was a first love and it was disastrous, but at least it taught her very much about um, what she did not want in a relationship. So she's grateful to the person for that. It's like, you broke me, but I'm really grateful. And it's, you know, there's just pages and pages. I could be in here all day. This is fascinating. I, I got to sit down and just start writing. Um, and, you know, I always, I always like to see people's handwriting as well because it's, it's something we don't get exposed to. Um, Secrets. And it is a, it's a very intimate way of um, communicating your ideas. It's, like, it's very tactile. Yeah. It's, it, your handwriting is unique to you. It shows your personality. And, yeah, I, I could be in here for hours. No holds bar. I, I think I'm in love with my coworker, but he has a girlfriend, even though we are great friends. <sighs> Victor, I think we're soulmates. Oh, Victor, take notice of him or her or yes, whoever it is. Yes, I wonder if we could put a love match together, find one from one page that goes with this one on the other page. Came with my son to teach him to always be careful. In the end, love is a ruthless killer. Someone should work these into a song. Yeah. A rap. Well, even, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting um, kind of crowdsourced art as well. Like this, this has come out of people's experience and the thoughts that are uppermost in their heads after they've been around the museum, which is in turn um, crowdsourced and it's, it's exhibits from people who um, have responded to perhaps what they've seen in um, the museum before or to a, the online presence. So it is, it's, it's art that's very much about communicating and sharing, which I love. Victor, are you out there? <laughs> I loved what Karina had to say about crowdsourced art in particular. You know, everyone contributing and being a part of it. That museum really has that kind of feel throughout. Keep listening to the end of this episode to learn ways you can be part of some groovy projects yourself. But we're not done with our tour yet. Next, I caught up with the friends you may recognize from previous episodes, stylist Rain Parvis and Aaron Tillman, a.k.a. the Dating Advice Girl, who were a bit mesmerized by those breast implants that we talked about earlier, and even more so, takeaways from that donator's story. Well, I mean, I think it's amazing. I've actually been here before. I think it's an amazing museum venue. It's actually a cool date idea. I, I came here like on a date, I think, the first time, which was hilarious because we're like, oh my god, all these bad relationships. That's not gonna be us. And then we like didn't like we went out for like one more month, and that was it. Um, <laughs> long story short, though, these breast implants. I mean, I think we were just saying that as women, we can really relate to. The story of, basically the story is, a, her ex, this woman's ex, kind of made her get breast implants. Made, well, didn't kind of made her, like kind of bullied her into it. So she gave her breast implants to the museum. So they're on display here. And it's amazing to read the story because I just feel like we all can relate to maybe a relationship or someone in our lives who maybe bullied us or kind of like weirdly made us feel bad about not doing something and especially if it's something like done to our bodies or something like what kind of relationship is that i mean but again i think we've all had something even if it's not as severe as getting having surgery i think we've all had like some sort of thing happen to us where someone we dated was like a negative influence or did something that made us think like why did i do and that? change ourselves mm -hmm. yeah. like to it's one thing if she wanted the implants and he was like yeah good idea but he was like you're getting these implants yeah. i mean that's a completely different thing yeah what do you think rain yeah, I was kind of surprised too because I think not just from kind of bringing it beyond the relationships, the relationships with ourselves, with our careers, with the media, and somebody always saying, oh, you need to get a nose job, or you need bigger boobs, or you need to be thin and fit into the skinny side of your closet. Uh, so whatever it is, I think the moral of this fantastic double D story <laughs> is don't change for anybody and just be who you are and learn to love yourself because if you're going to change for someone else and it's not coming from your own heart, you're going to be unhappy. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And then if you that happens, as it does to most of us, save the evidence, send it to the yes. museum. Yes. 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 Thank you, Rain and Aaron. 
to wrap up our audio uh, from the museum for now. There's going to be another little special bit later. I chatted with Karina and Aaron and Rain about whether or not they keep things from relationships and kind of their perspective on that whole philosophy. So I am not a saver of things from relationships, like almost to an extreme. And it's it's interesting to me how some people save a lot, some people don't save anything. But I was thinking about it, and I certainly have some things that I it, struggled to donate. Like I had a wedding dress that was beautiful that I got at this vintage shop that I just felt like was made for me, but it just felt like bad karma. And so I got rid of it. I sold it on eBay. What would you donate, Rain, if you had the chance? I think I'm actually going to try to donate a necklace. When it came when it comes to ex-boyfriends and stuff, usually when it's over, it was over and I just like got everything out really quick. But when it comes to friendships, I think it's a little bit it digs a little bit deeper, so I'm going to try to donate a necklace that a very good friend of mine that I was friends with for 25 years I'm no longer friends with um, due to XYZ I guess I hope it gets submitted and you'll have to read the story <laughs> it's a good story and I'm glad that you found healing but we're talking about how interesting it is too that there's kind of this social acceptance of breakups they're not like yay but they're acceptable and I feel like there's not a lot of almost permission for women especially to like we feel like we have to maintain a friendship that's toxic, for example, right. or or sometimes it's a familial relationship where you feel like you have to be really kind to a cousin who's really awful to you or whatever. Um, so that's fascinating. What about you, Erin? Well, I really thought about like, okay, first of all, what are the things I've saved from exes? I haven't saved a lot of things. I feel like I have a lot of First of all, I'm going to be real honest, sorry ex-boyfriends, but I wasn't really given a lot of things from exes, <laughs> so I was like, well, I do have a few like pieces of jewelry that I really like, and so I'm like, well, I, those are, I like these jewelry options, and I, don't, I want to keep the jewelry like for myself to wear, so I mean, I really didn't have a lot of things, so, and also, I mean, I have to say, for me, I don't really have a lot of bad I, even though these guys maybe didn't spend a lot of money, they're good guys. And so I don't know if there's anything, even though it would be anonymous, I don't really know if there's anything I could give that I would want on display potentially from someone I dated. And it's more of just an energetic thing for me. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, but, and again, because I wasn't given a lot of things. So. Would you have a problem, any of you, with, say, you meet someone, you start dating, or you get married, or whatever, and then you find out they have saved a ton of stuff from either a bunch of different exes or, like, one particular ex? And it's not like they showed this to you. Like, you stumble upon it. How would you feel about that? Red flag. Red flag. <laughs> Total red flag. Unless the ex is dead. <laughs> Unless, says the writer. Unless there was some really sad story where that was their kind of like one true love and it never, that relationship was only ended by death. I think it's okay then to keep mementos of a past relationship, but otherwise, just purge that stuff, you know, get rid of it. Don't keep the energy hanging around you. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I was thinking, obviously, I've, I've moved continents a lot in my life, so I, I really do purge a lot of things from my past, but you do end up with very tiny objects that are just small and they get overlooked. And I, I you know, I, I'd be back at my mom's in England and, and I'd find like a very tiny thing that dated back to a relationship when I was in my teens. I'm like, why have I still got this? And then you go to throw it away and something just kind of, you then just put it back in the, in the junk drawer until the next time. So when I go back to the UK next, I will look for something that has been saved in that manner. I'd feel flattered, so if any of my ex-boyfriends out there want to display anything I've given them, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but what if you found out your partner was saving a bunch of stuff from his ex? Oh, no, that'd go in the donate pile ASAP. <laughs> I don't know, I guess I'm a little different about it. As long as it wasn't like a shrine of things on display, like that would be a problem. But other than that, I kind of don't care. I just feel like we all have stories and we all have people that we were involved with. So as long as it's not like thrown in my face or like a big like deal, like... Or like a love letter they keep under their pillow. 
Yeah, as long as it's not still under the pillow, like, keep it. It's yeah. okay. I can't, I have, like, I, the thing I do have is I have leathers, like, that you pass in class from, like, junior high. I have, like, a bag full of those, like, all folded, like, origami mm-hmm. style, like, way back. And I'm, like, never getting rid of those. Like, love notes and stuff, never. Sorry, boys. Sorry, men. Sorry, future husband. No. Like, that's my thing. I'm cute. That's sweet. Like, your first little... Yes. I wrote one on a, lo- on a glue stick in kindergarten. I wish I still had it. <laughs> If you want to make a donation to the Museum of Broken Relationships here in Los Angeles, visit brokenships.la, brokenships.la. I also really recommend following them along on Facebook where you can find this gorgeous new video series they've created. It features people sharing about their broken relationships very openly on camera without the anonymity you find at the museum. The few that I've seen so far are really, really touching and also thought-provoking. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a big keeper of stuff in general. Like I've moved a lot. I'm just not a a pack rat, I guess you could say, maybe to a fault. <laughs> I've I've only learned to kind of try to keep certain things that that are meaningful to me. But I think there's a huge difference between hanging on to sentimental items and treasuring them as a way of sort of relationship. <laughs> there was also a time when I went to a weird extreme where I thought it would be cool to take photos of my partner and my exes and like put them in the same book together. Like, look at our journey. I think that was a little weird, Um, (laughs) but it was a good thought, well intended. But really, I think relationships are part of our journeys, right? And I'm so grateful that my partners that I've had have had previous experiences to learn from, to grow from, to enjoy. You know, I wish they didn't have to go through the painful times, of course, though, you know, that's part of life. They can help us grow too. They also make us more grateful for what we have. I don't think there's anything bad with kind of looking back on your on your path. I think that's a really beautiful thing. But again, if they're like obsessing over stuff or keeping love notes in their underwear drawer or nurturing those relationships, that's eh, not so cool. Not if you're in a monogamous relationship. If you're, you know, if you have an arrangement where it's like, you know, you're allowed to or allow each other to have additional relationships or to stay in touch with exes in a really like close or intimate way. That's one thing. But don't assume that that stuff is cool. I think it's good to have those conversations. And what matters most is finding what works for you and your relationships across the board in so many different areas. I asked our resident sex and relationships expert, Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com to share her thoughts as well. Um, this is an interesting question about uh, holding on to or keeping sort of keepsakes, uh, pictures, uh, perhaps jewelry objects from a, a previous relationship. And, you know, I think it has a lot to do with what is the energy that's still attached to it. You know, if it's a fond uh, memory and uh, it is sort of, you know, amusing and remembering of a great time. That's one thing. Um, but if it's something, say, a picture that's still on your mantle um, or, you know, there's objects around your apartment or house that um, makes it feel as if that relationship is still alive, it would not be surprising that your current relationship or partner might have feelings about that. And so what I'd invite you to think about is... Um, in any way is holding on to these objects uh, and the difference between are they out and sort of um, easily accessible or are they sort of hidden away and tucked away uh, sort of in a drawer. Um, first of all, is to notice are they out or are they tucked away and you know, what is your energy around them? Do you think on any level they might be holding you back from inviting and allowing in a relationship, a new relationship? Because if so, I think it's time to let them go and you might even do sort of a ceremony around that or a ritual or saying a goodbye letter to the relationship and those memories and you know you might bury it or you might do a ceremonial fire um you know and it's, it's certainly to be respectful that if a partner feels threatened to understand you know is it because of the way that you're holding on to sort of these objects of this past relationship or is it saying something about that partner because you feel really clear and it feels very remote and you know what if any jealousy might be stemming from them and what if any way are you not helping them feel really secure about your relationship because if something's coming up for that person somehow on some level they're not feeling secure and that 
is uh, something that I think is important to be addressed. Um, so I don't think there's a one size fits all answer when it comes to this, but I think it's to check in with yourself if in any way these objects are uh, preventing you from moving on or creating difficulties in your current relationships. I think it is absolutely time to move on. And if you feel like you've cleared all that and they're just something from time to time you reminisce, um, I think that that can be a healthy way of uh, remembering too. So check in with yourself, be honest and let that uh, inner wisdom guide your decision. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I especially loved what she said about having a ceremony. What a beautiful thing to do if you did want to get rid of something and you didn't want to say donate it to a museum, you could have this beautiful ceremony. I think that that's a really powerful healing thing you could do too if you were trying to move on from a relationship. Maybe you get together with some friends and you have a powwow. You know, maybe you donate the stuff to like a thrift store to people who could really use it. You know, that's I think what I did with my uh, my first wedding dress. I sold it on eBay, but I did have like other accessories and like a ring and stuff like that that I tried to put toward charity. There's a lot of different ways to go about these things. And again, no right or wrong. So now we're going to shift gears slightly to talk about the wounds we carry from past relationships when a damaging relationship ends and leaves us feeling really, really hurt in its wake. These are the carryovers we wish we could get rid of, but as I'm sure many of you know, that is not always so easy. This question from a listener, Sharice, is so important. She said she's a new listener. So yay. Thank you, Sharice, for listening. I'm so glad that uh, Girl Boner has resonated with you. Here's what she wrote. I was with someone who was very dishonest about his intentions and literally tried to get sex from every woman that crossed his path, including me. He got gratification from sexual humiliation without consent and sexually assaulted me several times. I managed to leave, but he was the only person I've had a relationship with. I have a lot of fear around physical touch and sex now and have difficulty interacting with men because I automatically assume they are trying to manipulate me into sex. I'm in therapy, but I'm having trouble, and I'm wondering if you can offer any suggestions to further my recovery from this experience. Thank you so, so much for this really beautiful, important question, Sharice. I'm so, so sorry that you've had to go through that, that you are struggling now. There are so many wonderful people out there who will not hurt or manipulate you. And I know you can know that rationally. It's another thing to really feel it. And it's also natural that you're in a place where you're still healing. You know, I heard from a therapist recently, when you go through something really painful, we don't we don't get to decide like how long the healing process lasts, especially when someone else hurts us, right? If somebody does something, they hurt you, it may take you days, months, weeks, years. It, however long it takes is how long it takes, and that's okay. So as frustrating as it is to know that time is part of it, you know, I think that that can be just a helpful thing to know, that a lot of people are going through this to not feel any shame around it taking time. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say to your question, Sharice. Sharice. Um, thank you so much for your question and uh, for your honesty and vulnerability. Um, you know, it's striking to me that, you know, in your um, question, you share with us that, you know, this person that uh, sort of violated you sort of emotionally, physically um, is your first sort of intimate relationship. And I think I'm uh, highlighting that because, you know, the sexual trauma uh, is never in any way acceptable or okay, but I think its impact or imprint can uh, be a little bit even more insidious and harmful when it's the only or first sexual relationship that you've had because it's it's your only benchmark in a sense. You haven't um, sort of a wealth of prior experience to know what healthy uh, emotional and physically intimate relationships look and feel like. And so I think in so many ways it can feel so much more daunting, sort of the prospect of, you know, being vulnerable and trusting someone new. Um, but that being said, the part I really want to highlight is, first of all, you found that inner strength to lead this relationship. Uh, and that is not an easy thing to do because, you know, uh, when women and or men find themselves with somebody who might be narcissistic, manipulative, sadistic, uh, you know, one of the things that they do is they really undermine someone's sense of self, self-esteem, self-confidence. Um, and, from that place, it's really hard to know oneself, one's value, to really say no, no, 
on any level, this is not acceptable. And you extracted yourself from that relationship. And that's such a healthy, uh, courageous, healthy decision that you made on behalf of yourself. And then you've also gotten to therapy, which again, I think is an amazing uh, a first step. And because it's about, you know, how do I process this emotional uh, trauma and how do I ultimately release this uh, in my body? And so um, it sounds, again, psychotherapy is great. Um, and maybe an adjunct to that might be trying on something called EMDR. Um, and there's an organization, EMDR um, International, that uh, it sort of explains what EMDR is, but it basically is a, a therapy process that is specific to uh, healing trauma. And the, uh, it is based on uh, extensively research and proven effective treatments. And so I think it's really, it's to think that sometimes trauma is embodied and it's on a visceral level. And so how do we release that? And so emdria.org is definitely a website I'd have you check out. Um, but the other thing to think about is, you know, when you would feel a level of trust with someone, uh, we've talked about this in a previous Girl Boner episode. First and foremost, I think it's uh, wait until you're comfortable uh, to decide when it feels appropriate for you to disclose this past history because this is personal and it's private and you know we do not have chemistry with everyone and um, as you're going on a first date you know I think it's important that you know you know how to take care of yourself and hold your personal space and boundaries um, meet out in a place that's public so that in no way do you feel compromised but that you wait until you feel like there is connection or chemistry or someone you want to get to know better and then when it feels right you would disclose this piece of information because it's a way of imparting to that person that, you know, if they're interested in being with you, they're going to recognize um, the value and the necessity of taking things really slow because it is a process of building trust and sort of learning through a new relationship that there is safety, right? You can be held in a space of letting go and that you're going to do it step by step, you know, and it might start with just receiving a hug, receiving a hug that your body can relax into, um, you know, from a, we have exercises in sex therapies. Sensate focus is sort of the first one where it's about central touch and massage. It could be with um, full clothes on or certainly with underwear on. And it's about receiving touch. What's it like to give touch? What's it like to receive touch? You know, what happens to your heart rate? Uh, you know, do you find yourself sort of clammy and sweaty? Can you relax into just receiving touch? And so, like I said, it might start with receiving a hug. It might start with a hand massage, but that as you develop comfortable, uh, comfort with someone, you're going to be pairing a relaxation with response with that sense of touch. And basically we're extinguishing um, that learned or conditioned response, which is the tension, the fear, the apprehension. Um, and so from a behavioral perspective, we call this systematic desensitization. And so this is certainly something you can work on with your current therapist. Um, and again, you might try out the EMDR and there are many, many different kinds of uh, therapies that are specific to trauma. But I think it's about establishing trust and connection and find a partner who recognizes that for you, it's, it's gonna take time and it's a process um, that's going to build over time and is uh, again going to be guided by you. And even though you might feel pressure, right, to uh, be moving along faster than you are, I always say to clients, um, and this is so true, sometimes we go much slower in the beginning to go faster. And that may sound counterintuitive, but it's true. Uh, recognize and give yourself the time and space and the patience to go really slow, as slow as you need in the beginning, because if you honor that and your body feels honored, because we always say the body speaks, if the body feels honored and knows that you're listening, then it's going to allow, right? It's going to release and allow and let go for you to have new experiences. So go slow, slower than you think, because I can promise you, if you do that, you're going to make greater strides in, in the future moving forward. Um, again, I really, Cherise, thank you so much for this question and absolutely would love to hear how things go and uh, what you think of the different uh, you know, processes or therapies that you try. Thank you, Dr. Megan. Oh, I love that so much. Sometimes we go slower in the beginning to go faster. So that's, a really beautiful thought to keep in mind, I think, you know, when when we're keeping in mind, too, that it might take a while just to know that it's not going to feel like that forever. It's not it might feel very slow. It might feel arduous and it probably will. And one day you may wake up and realize that things are moving along and the sun is shining more and you just feel 
so much healing and and not only healing, but rewards from healing and rewards from doing that work. I think that's something that we don't often realize until we get there, you know, is is that if we put the work in to healing, into self-care and doing the things, Sharice, that you're doing, like getting help, seeing a therapist, that's so, so huge and so brave. The rewards will be tenfold. I promise you that. You're not just trying to get back to ground level. You're trying to get to a place of like warrior dumb, you know, like you, you not only survived, I think sometimes we go through the surviving to thriving. And I know it's possible. And like Megan said, you know, when it's your first relationship, it's it can be harder because it feels like what do you have to compare it to, right? Um, but I think really surrounding yourself with super supportive friends can be helpful too. You know, practicing mindfulness, taking really good care of yourself, whatever that means. Some days it might mean, you know, the basics, eating every few hours uh, doesn't have to be the healthiest food in the world, you know, if your appetite is low or maybe it's getting all the rest that you need. But really, really honing in on what it means for you to feel better in this moment and to know that some days it's just about breathing and getting through it. And and I really do believe it'll get better. I, I sense that. I sense that in anybody who feels like, you know, you're asking because you know that there's hope and because even though rationally, you know, you may know that you're feeling differently, but but the body responds to you know, trigger events, which it sounds like what you're talking about, like having this, if, if men, for example, are a trigger, it's going to take some time to for your body to not react as though every man is not a traumatic experience, right? Um, but you can know that and you can you can guide yourself through. And, and I'm cheering for you all the way. By the way, EMDR therapy that Megan mentioned, uh, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It sounds really, really fascinating. And the website she mentioned has a lot of really cool resources on it. So I hope it's helpful. You may also find some helpful takeaways in my recent episode, Sex with a Sociopath. Even if this person you were with was not a sociopath, it sounds like at least, the very least, she was abusive and manipulative. So there's there's very possibly some of that sociopathy on the spectrum. But regardless, I think the episode holds a lot of helpful information. I interviewed this awesome therapist, Jenny, who specializes in helping people heal from toxic relationships. And at the end, she shared like really tangible steps. Throughout, though, we talked about real experiences. We had another question from a listener. I shared some of my own experience. And I feel like there are some really comprehensive takeaways there. There's also an episode from 2014, which happens to be one of my favorites. It's called Learning to Thrive After a Partner's Sex Addiction. And it went out on iTunes on November 3rd, 2014. So if you go to iTunes, they're listed by date. Just scroll down to, you might have to go to like page number two. Um, and 2014, go to November, you'll see it there. I interviewed a woman who found out, you know, years into a relationship that her her partner had a completely other life, basically, sexually. And she ended up dealing with a lot of trauma, similar to Sharice, what you might have been experiencing, and, and also has gone on to thrive. And I just think she's so, so inspiring. So you can also find that on my website, augustmclaughlin.com forward slash husbands, plural, husbands dash sex dash addiction. Now, last but not least, I have one more clip recorded at the Museum of Broken Relationships to share, which really pulls at the heartstrings and gave me an idea as well for you all to participate in, which I will share just after. So this hat is from the 20s, the Derby hat. The, the Derby hat. So they were his, this person's father was demolishing a city block in Indiana, and he found this hat with this love letter in it. Mm. And he could see that this was something important to someone he couldn't throw it away and now it's been sitting with his family for 25 years because everybody knew that this was you know a super powerful like emotional thing that like you just can't be so cavalier to just toss it and the story in the letter we don't know whose hat it is is the person who wrote the letter owned the hat and they never gave the letter or is this the recipient of the letter but it just says dear dear heart of mine I know there's no place in your heart for me, but dear, I can't help it because I love you, dear. There's not enough word to tell you how unhappy I am. And now as I write you this little note, the tears blind me. And it goes on and on and on about just 
how brokenhearted this person is and how like can you please forgive me and I'm so sorry and I love you and you just when you read that you just oh. can't throw it away which just goes to show that these pieces are really powerful how sweet and heart-wrenching was that you wonder so many things right the history the details there's just so much passion in those words and really seeing the handwriting is powerful too so I love love letters all of my close friends, my family knows this. I've even gone to like thrift stores and I'll buy bags of old used cards because I love seeing what people write to each other. And I love the mystery, the emotion. I, I've decided to collect them over the years and I would actually love to read yours on the air. So if you have a letter, whether it's from a past relationship or a current relationship, it can be romantic, it can be a, a breakup letter, it can be a diary letter that you never sent to somebody, it could be erotic, it could be X-rated, it could be G-rated. It's all good. Send it to me through my website, augustmclaughlin.com. Hit the contact tab. You can either email me directly there or use the little box, just cut and paste right in, and it'll come straight to me. I am so happy to protect your privacy, and I'm going to use them in a special project coming up where you'll be able to hear people's letters. So if you're interested, and, and if you do submit one, I will uh, reply if I do end up using it. So... Please do let me know if you're interested. I'm going to be doing this for a little while. I'll try to nudge you along the way. But again, augustmclaughlin.com and just hit the contact tab. Another fabulous place to visit, I have to mention, is the Pleasure Chest in L.A., New York, or Chicago. My favorite, favorite sex toy store. They're also educational powerhouses and have a wonderful website full of toys, lube, sexual health products, thepleasurechest.com. Remember to visit one of their locations or click their image on my sidebar on my website for to shop for awesome toys, all kinds of goodies. And seriously, if you've gone through a breakup recently, toys can help a lot. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.